you pray with me, please? The wondrous gift is given. So God, you impart to human hearts the blessing of this heaven. No ear may hear your coming, but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive you, you enter in. Lord Jesus, would you uh, enter in here amongst this gathering of meek souls in this world of sin where we desperately need a Savior yet again today. We long for the Savior's coming. Help us to understand the mystery of that coming even more from the pages of your scriptures today. Bless us, Lord, as we seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There you go. Am I still on? I'm still on. Good morning. It's nice to see you this morning. We've been in a series, and I want to publicly thank Pastor Allen for putting this series together, The Mysteries of Advent. It's a season of hope, which means it's a season of things that we haven't experienced yet, which makes them a little bit mysterious. So we've talked about a mysterious calendar, because we don't know when the day of the Lord is coming. We talked about a mysterious branch growing out of a stump. Remember that? This mysterious family tree that we get to be grafted into to become children of God. And last week, a mysterious, what I would call a mysterious request by John the Baptist calling us to repent, even though we can't, because we never have been able to on our own. So this mysterious call to do something that only God can do in us, and then ultimately Jesus becomes our repentance for us. It's been a great series for me, and we, we get to cap it off today by talking about what we call a mysterious convergence, and that convergence takes place here at the city of Bethlehem. That's Bethlehem today. It's on what we call the West Bank in Israel, which means it's Israeli-occupied Palestinian territory. It's kind of a hot spot. It's a few miles from downtown Jerusalem. So there's a big wall that wraps around Bethlehem to, to, to mark the, the difference between Israel and uh, the Palestinian territory that's under occupation. And so it becomes quite a hot spot. Interestingly, Bethlehem is important to who? Christians, because that's where Jesus was born. The Jews aren't so big on Bethlehem. Islam is not very big on Bethlehem. So the Christians keep sending busfuls of people in there because we really want to see Bethlehem, and which confuses them. doesn't confuse them. They understand what's going on. But that's Bethlehem today. This is probably the Bethlehem you think of. So this is coming on your Christmas cards all week. It seems nice and tender and simple. It almost looks snow. It looks like Wisconsin there on the right. Uh, it's, it's... But this is probably what Bethlehem really looked like. Something like this. Next one. It's a little town. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. That's a small, little Palestinian town. The likes of which the scripture said, almost bully-like. Seems like the prophets are saying, Oh, you, oh, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you're too little to be among the clans of Judah. You're a punk. You're a little town, oh, Bethlehem. And so for in, in the prophecies, when it says, The Messiah will come from Bethlehem, you call it right. Like the next mayor of Arizona is going to come from Apache Junction, right? Like, like that could ever happen. <laughs> Bethlehem becomes the vortex, the convergence of a spectacular move of God that brings together all kinds of people, brings together time and space, brings together heaven and earth. So let's take a look at this convergence. So what we have... In, in this little town of Bethlehem, 
we have a number of different players. And I'm going to assume, forgive me if you're new to Christianity or new to the biblical text, I'm going to assume a certain understanding of the basic Christmas story and some of the people involved. Uh, So if you have any questions, ask me afterwards or go ahead and read uh, the first couple chapters of Matthew and Luke and you can see for yourself. But in this mysterious convergence, our first characters are, of course, Joseph and Mary. They are drawn to Bethlehem. Why? Well, because the government told them to be there. But who's in charge of the government? God. It's one of his kingdoms. So through that governmental agency, he's called. But why are Joseph and Mary even still together? I mean, after all, Joseph's wife-to-be got got, uh, pregnant out of wedlock. He was thinking, I'm going to divorce this girl. Mary was was very troubled at the fact that she became pregnant and doesn't know why, why are they still even in the game? They had angel visitors who came and talked to them and encouraged them and said, stay together. And then this government issue says, go to Bethlehem. So at eight and three quarters months pregnancy, they're on a road trip to Bethlehem. They have converged onto this little city. The next characters who converge, we know them well, the shepherds who are out in, just just common working-class people minding their own business, but angels appear to them and proclaim the truth of what's happening in Bethlehem. They also end up converging in Bethlehem. That's your nativity story. That's really the only people who were there that night. But also part of this Bethlehem story, next characters would be Simeon and Anna. They're in front of the wise men. They get there before the wise men. But during this time in Bethlehem, while they're living there, they take the baby Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus to Jerusalem where they dedicate Jesus but when they go to the temple mount they bump into Simeon and Anna and Simeon and Anna are old they're as old as dirt they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the coming of Messiah and the Holy Spirit had told Simeon that he wouldn't die until he actually met the Messiah and so when Jesus comes to the temple mount Simeon says I can die now that is the Messiah. I have seen the Messiah. Now I have peace. In fact, at the end of this service, we're going to sing together the benediction of Simeon, which is great for the, this season of the year. He has peace, and also he turns and immediately says, hey, Anna, you've got to check this out. I think this is the Messiah. Anna comes over. She's an 85-year-old evangelist, and she comes and sees this child and immediately starts proclaiming the truth of the Messiah having arrived to the people around her. So they were longing, and they end up converging on this child as well. And then the last characters we see are the ones that you know pretty well. They're in your nativity scene, and they shouldn't be because they don't show up until like June. You should leave your nativity scene out and bring the wise men in in June. That would shake up the neighbors. What are you doing? But we have uh, the magi who are Gentile astrologer theologians, and they see the star, but it's not just that they saw the star, they had to understand the prophecies about the coming of a king of the Jews. So they had been reading the book of Daniel and maybe some of the other prophets. So they had this understanding of truth and the star, and they are lured to come and converge on Bethlehem. They're all there. And these are the characters that we know from the scriptures. But think about it, there are other characters. So one other character would be the innkeeper. Now, the innkeeper gets a lot of, uh, he gets put down quite a bit for not, how was he supposed to know? Saving a room, maybe? He's in a little town. If you're living in a little town and you're running a little hotel, your life is terrible to begin with. (laughs) 
it's hard, to, it's hard to stay in business. So on a day when David's family line is all converging on Bethlehem for the census, his hotel is full. But, but really, because of his commerce, because of the, the way that he's spending his days, the point I'm just making is, God is visiting the planet right under his nose and he misses it. He's consumed with the other things going on in his life. There's another man consumed with other things going on in his life, and that's Herod. Herod enters the story later because he finds out that when the wise men come and say, we have come to find the new king of the Jews, Herod goes, hmm, who is this new king of the Jews? I'd like to worship him. Well, he didn't really want to worship him. Any potential king of the Jews would be a threat to him as the overseer of that area on behalf of the Roman Empire. So he says, I want to get this problem taken care of because I'm busy propping up my power and my kingdom, and I'm not interested in the nation of Israel reestablishing itself as a competitive kingdom. So he's going to miss the glory of the Messiah as well, even though it's happening right in his jurisdiction. And then we have uh, the priests and the scribes. See, the Magi came to Herod and said, hey, I think the king of the Jews is here. And Herod went, hmm, I'm going to talk to some smart Jewish people, brings in the, the, the scribes and the chief priests and says, what's the deal with the coming of your so-called Messiah? And they said, well, the Messiah is supposed to be coming in Bethlehem. Interestingly enough, the pagan astrologers get that it's happening, but the scribes don't. They're, they're, they're almost too smart for their own good. What they don't do is hear about this from the Magi and turn around and say, what did the Magi say? And there's a star? Maybe we should go check it out. How many of you have scribes and chief priests in your nativity scene? None of you, because they were not interested. They were more interested in their, their, their academic understanding and in staying in proper cahoots with the government so that they could work with Herod and keep, uh, keep the political peace at the expense of truth. There's one other group of people who missed it, and that is it's all the people across the countryside who aren't realizing that God's visiting the planet in Bethlehem. Why don't they know? They've had the Torah. They've had the writings of the prophets. They had heard this buzz about uh, John the Baptist well, they hadn't heard about John the Baptist yet, but they had heard about Zechariah and Elizabeth, this old, kind of important couple from the line of Aaron who had had, had a child late in their... And, and, so, and, and there was prophecies connected with that that Zechariah was talking about. And then Mary comes along, and she's got prophecies like the Magnificat. There's, there's buzz, but not enough of a buzz for the people to understand, like, this is really happening right now. And you can almost blame that on the teachers of the law at that time. The people were not ready. They weren't, they weren't in the word at a level of depth that got them prepared for the second coming. And that's the first point I want to make today about this incredible convergence. What's the difference? The word of God. The word of God is what makes awareness of what God is doing, it, it makes it comprehensible to us. So Joseph and Mary had the, had the angel visitants. So did the shepherds. Simeon had direct conversation with the Holy Spirit. And the Magi had the texts. So whether it's the texts or the Holy Spirit or angels or in our context as believers now, where does God reside? The temple of God is the people of God. Where does God speak? 
The Bible says that he gifts the church with gifts of the Holy Spirit, including teaching and knowledge and prophecy and wisdom, that collectively together we become a context where this word of God surfaces that helps us understand what God is doing, what God is up to. These had a word. But the others, if you move on to the next, next picture here. Oh, no, the next picture says, what, well, what happens? They had a word, and then they go to Bethlehem, and what's the fruit of their visit? Because they've had a word. The Bible says that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. She saw the word of the shepherd, the, the wise men came by, what in the world's going on? I had an angel. Joseph had an angel. She's treasuring it all. She's a contemplative. She's meditating on these truths. What about the shepherds? First thing they do is say, we've got to go to Bethlehem and see this. And as soon as they see it, what do they do? They go tell it on the mountain. We're singing that, right? It's the holiday season. They immediately say, we've got to go tell everybody that this Messiah was more. We saw angels. We met the Messiah. They became evangelists immediately. And then we have uh, Simeon and Anna. Simeon says, let your servant now, Lord, depart in peace. I have peace in knowing that God has redeemed me. And then what does Anna do? She becomes a proclaimer also. They immediately jump into action, both internally and externally, to, to uh, reflect what has happened in the Christ. And then finally, the Magi, what do we have for them? We've got to go there, and what do we got to do? We got to worship. So we get contemplative, we have worship by, by giving of selves, traveling long distance on a pilgrimage just to make sure that God gets his due. We've got proclamation, we've got, we've, we've got it all. This is what happens when the word of God accompanies the revelation of God and something extraordinary converges. That's the story for some of you. God has always been God. Most people believe that there's a God. Over 90% of people who are polled by Gallup say, yeah, there's a God. We just don't know who he is until the word of God comes to you, becomes powerful in you, and now you can see God has revealed himself in Bethlehem and then eventually on the cross, and eventually he will return and reveal himself and we'll be ready because of the word of God. The problem is the world around us has not received that word so we go back to our other players, and we have our innkeeper who's just busy making money, and then we have our, uh, uh, our, our priests and our scribes, kind of our academics of our world, who are worried about protecting their intellectual prestige and advancing their academic agenda. We have our politicians who are building their personal kingdoms, and then we just have our huddled masses who just have never heard about Jesus because they've never had anybody proclaim them the truth. The difference between that outer circle and the inner circle is the word of God. Have you received a word yet? Or are you living your life outside of the context of Bethlehem and you're just trying to make it work? Some of you might be looking at the screen and saying, you know what? More than treasuring Jesus in my heart, I'm pretty consumed with my business. And I would say, live life in the middle circle. Converge. Be a part of Bethlehem. Let Bethlehem move you. But the, but the other thing about this is there are people all around us, believers, who are missing Bethlehem because they haven't heard. And you might be saying, well, Lord, send them an angel. Lord, uh, speak directly to them by the Holy Spirit like you did Simeon. Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll give them a Bible so that they can read it like the Magi. But what Jesus said when he left was, 
All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit because he's going to fill you so you can go and proclaim gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're my delivery system for the word of God. And there's people missing Bethlehem because we haven't shared it. This Christmas, do you, do you, want, do you want your friends and neighbors around the nativity scene too? Celebrating Jesus with you, the Jesus you've come to know? They're not going to celebrate with you until the word of God has penetrated them and they become followers of Christ too. But you're the delivery system for that word. It's too much for me. Yeah, it is. Now go do it. Yeah, but I just said it's too much for me. Yeah, in your weakness, God is at his greatest strength. Go, share it. Yeah, what if they, what if they uh, reject it? Of course they will. Lots of people will. Just go share it. Yeah, but it might jostle family relations. Yeah, Jesus promised that will happen. Now go share it. Well, well, can't we just leave status quo? This is not a status quo worth keeping. Separation from the convergence of Jesus. Be an agent. So that's people who are converging. But not only did people converge, but we have another aspect of this. We saw the scripture. All of time is converging at Bethlehem as well as people. So take a look at this passage again. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrata, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth from me one is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when the first proclamation of the coming Messiah was made, we have been longing and longing and longing and longing and longing, and we get to Bethlehem, and it takes uh, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in the today and that's the next part therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth that's the present moment of bethlehem god converges on that present moment but what does that have to do with us we keep reading the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of israel he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the lord in the majesty of the name of the lord his god and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and shall be their peace all nations, the kingdom of God spread over the entire planet. That's the coming kingdom. Past, present, future, it all converges and is all answered in the baby, in this little town of Bethlehem. It reminds me of a passage in the book of Galatians. Bring up the next slide. In Galatians chapter 4, it says this, when we were children... We're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. That's the past. That's, that's our life before coming to know Christ. And we're saying, Lord, I have been this sinful person. Is there some purpose and, and, and importance to that bad part of my reality? Then Paul goes on to say, but when the fullness of time had come. That's that Bethlehem presence. Jesus came at the fullness of time God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. There's that branch again, that mysterious branch where we get adopted into the family tree. And because you're sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, we are daddy, daddy people now. We're in that inner circle where we know God as our father. But then it says, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. And that's the future. 
So in Christ, we have this bad, sinful self that God forgives in the Christ, and we have an advent hope of being an heir into the future. And all of that, that entire fulcrum, is in the baby. What do you make of the baby? What do you make of what happened at Bethlehem? I don't care who you are, this is what matters. I don't care when you've lived, this is what matters. Because in Bethlehem, heaven and earth converge. And the incarnate Jesus that we talked about in the Nicene Creed becomes our Savior. So my encouragement to you, as we all long for this top candle to finally be lit, that Jesus would finally come and establish his eternal kingdom, that our inheritance as heirs would be fully given to us as we long for that future, will we join those in the inner circle as people for whom the word of God has opened up our hearts to be able to appreciate Christmas, but who also immediately turn around and become proclaimers of that word so that other people will be in that circle. Cry, Abba, Father, become heirs of the inheritance with us. That's us. If your heart is warmed by Jesus this season because of the gospel of his grace, my encouragement to you now as you head into those family reunions and those funky, weird uncles and aunts and those people who you never want to talk about religion with them, I pray go in there with the boldness of the Holy Spirit and share gospel because if you miss the baby, you've missed everything. Amen? Amen.